in a series called The Expectant Path, and we've been journeying Lent together and what it looks like to journey towards the promise and the hope of Easter. And it's true that there's worries everywhere today. You don't have to look far to see that. America is is a nervous place. Many folks are concerned with many different things. Some folks are preparing for one catastrophe or another, personally or, or globally in our world. I took a little uh, look at a prepper's shopping list this week. Do you all know uh, who a prepper is? Are so, some of you are shaking your heads yes. Others are like, what the heck is a prepper? So a prepper is somebody who feels that, who believes that the uh, violent end of all things is eminently near. And that they, by gathering, by their survival skills and their survival supplies, by gathering that kind of thing, that they'll, they'll outlast this, whether the government collapses or whatever, what have you. That's what a prepper is. So... According to the website, here is what I would need just in case, just in case of an emergency. Maybe we could apply some of these personally. Water, gravity-fed water filter, capacity 2.25 gallons, paint or coffee filters to remove sediment prior to filtering, bleach, water purification tablets, plastic Nalgene bottles, 55-gallon storage barrels, food, short-term and long-term, rice, beans, flour, salt, sugar, honey, vinegar, baking soda, baking powder, security, sandbags, holster for pistol, knife, pistol, ultra-bright flashlight, gun oil, cleaning solvent, spare brushes, shelter, clothing, work boots, heavy-duty gloves, tarps, plastic sheeting, nails, heat source, kerosene heater, wood-burning stove, fire extinguisher, shampoo, soap, conditioner, combs, razors, vitamins, gas grill, solar van, can opener, butane stove batteries, battery charger, generator, oil lamps, shovels, chainsaw, clamps, wheelbarrow, bungee cords, world band radio, antenna, shortwave radio, and finally, duct tape. (laughs) That's what you're going to need. Are your worries set at ease now, now that you have all of these things? The world is coming to an end. All kidding aside, Americans are pretty anxious people. We're plagued by anxiety and worry. Nearly one in five of us has an anxiety disorder. That's nearly 18% of the population. We spend over $2 billion a year on anti-anxiety medications, and college students are often described as more anxious and nervous than ever before. I used to work for a hair salon call center. Not in the hair salon, in the call center. So my job was to take uh, appointments for the hairstylist in this hair salon. And one of the questions that we asked the people who were calling in to receive color treatments in their hair was if they were on antidepressants. And I will tell you the truth. This is not just a number I'm pulling out of my hair. This is an actual statistic that 50% of the women who would call up and get color treatments in their hair were on Prozac or some sort of anti-depression medication or anti-anxiety medication. Some of you can relate with these numbers this morning. There are many explanations for these nerves. A bad job market, a less cohesive communities, the constant self-comparison, that's social media. In 2002, the World Mental Health Survey found that Americans were the most anxious people in the 14 countries that were studied, with more clinically significant levels of anxiety than people in Nigeria, Lebanon, and the Ukraine. 
In the United States, the enormous psychotherapeutic and self-help industry teaches us that we must pay scrupulous attention to the inner experience. To succeed and to be happy, we're taught we need to know what we feel. Today we're going to look at what it means to have an expectant heart. We're going to journey this thing of worry together and find at the end of everything a father who loves to provide for his sons and his daughters. During Lent, we're often called to give something up. And through prayer this week, I sense that the Lord would want to relieve many folks here this morning of worry. That we collectively, as Vineyard Cleveland, that we would give up worrying for Lent. Our series, The Expectant Path, started Ash Wednesday at the beginning of Lent, and we were reminded about repentance and lifting our eyes off of ourselves onto a, a great big God. We've looked at Jesus in the wilderness and how he was victorious over temptation. We've heard about what it means to dream and dream again in the late winter months and the hibernating months, to be expectant for the good things that the Father has planned for our future. And now we We're going to take a look at Jesus' words and how he sees worry in our lives and how he loves to take care of us. So let's take a minute. We're going to invite God's presence. I know we've already done that, um, but just to settle our hearts into the word. As we read this morning, we believe that we're coming into contact with the living God. We don't feel like we're just reading um, a book, some book. We feel that God um, himself uh, is speaking to us, that the words on the page come alive as we read. We receive hope. We receive peace and joy. We're not coming to study God or to hear another lecture. We're coming to encounter Jesus. So, Father, we pray that you would come, that you would fill us with your presence as we look at your word together. We pray that you would encourage hearts this morning. Would you allow me to say something that would be fresh and um, just where people are living today? Father, we carry all sorts of worry, and we know we weren't meant to, to experience that. But we all face it, and I pray that you would, you would come in your, in your grace and that you would speak to worried hearts today. Would you bring freedom to folks as we hear and we hear again? Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come reveal something of Jesus to us. Come walk the rose this morning. Invite us again. Invite us into relationship. Invite us into the impossible. We love you, God. Amen. Okay, we're in Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Okay, we're going to start here in verse 25. And Jesus says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon... In all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, 
Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Why? Why? Why do we worry? Why do we worry? There are, there's many concerns that we carry in our hearts and in our minds. None of us are dismissed from worrying. You may be dealing with an illness or an illness of a loved one. You may be experiencing turmoil in your marriage. You may be losing sleep over cares for your grown children. You may be worrying about if you'll ever get married. You may be worried over little things or over big things, over real things or imagined things, over a tense job situation or the loss of income. The truth is, is that we all face worry. All of us face worry. Jesus has just finished telling these folks gathered to hear him speak that they can't serve two masters. He's just finished saying, you can't serve God and money. You've got to serve one or the other. It's like the old Bob Dylan song, you're going to need to serve somebody. It may be the devil, it may be the Lord, but you're going to need to serve somebody. You will bow the knee. There will be many points in your journey where you'll be given a character check. And that character check will boil down to, are you going to serve God or are you going to serve money? Will you serve the culture of the world or will you serve the culture of the kingdom? These will be very subtle character checks at times and these will be very blatant character checks at times. But you're going to get asked that question sooner or later. Who are you going to serve? Are you going to serve God or are you going to serve money? So Jesus just gets done having this little chat with them, and then he begins to tell them, therefore, therefore, the truth is you cannot serve God in money, so do not worry. Jesus is encouraging them. He's not condemning them. He's saying, do not worry. Now, worry is an interesting word. It's packed with a lot of meaning. The word worry, if you trace the etymology of this word, is an old German word. It goes back to the Germanic tribes. And the word that we derive worry from is vergon. And vergon, the meaning of this word, when the Germanic tribes would speak of this word, what they would mean when they say vergon is like choking or like a rope. Worry chokes the life out of us. It's useless. It's useless. And the Greek word here is a compound word. The word that we translate in English, worry or to be anxious, is an interesting one in the original Greek. It literally means to have a divided mind. When the writers of the Gospels are saying that Jesus is saying, do not worry, he's saying, do not have a divided mind. Do not have one eye in one place and one eye in another place at the same time. Do you know this feeling? One eye in one place and one eye in another place at the same time? 
It's sort of like this constant sense of gnawing distraction. Have you ever tried to have a conversation with someone who's watching television? Or the the new fad of multi-screening? We've always multi-screened as a people, but we have actual screens to have multi-screening experiences. It's nearly impossible to have a uh, distracted conversation with one person who's watching television, isn't it? Or maybe you're trying to watch television and someone's trying to talk to you. You may be reading or working or on your computer or out on a date, but instead of focusing on what's in front of you, you have a divided mind. Because there's this background noise of worry, this white noise that's always happening. We live in an increasingly worried culture, an anxious society. We're losing the art of communication. We're losing it at a rapid pace. To just sit and be still is lost. It's almost, it's almost obsolete. It's extinct. And if you doubt, just ask any 10 or 11-year-old or watch. It's becoming extinct. Part of your mind's pulled away and focused on a very real problem or an imaginary one, which is often what we worry about, imaginary things, an imagined problem that we may be facing, and we're so distracted you can't give full attention to this moment or this task or this person in front of us. And we live in a distracted world, but what Jesus is driving at here is our heart motivation. When he encourages us not to worry, he's saying is, here's what he's saying. He's saying, hey, hey, I love you. I know you. I know your hearts, and I know that you don't know what's coming around the corner. You can't see around the corner. I know that sometimes that can introduce fear to your soul. But I've been there. I've been in the past, and I'm here in the present with you, and I'll never leave you. I know what's ahead, so don't worry. That's the heart Jesus is coming from when he's telling us not to worry. And he talks a bit about value here. He goes on to talk about value. And he talks about the value of the birds of the air. And he talks about our value. And he talks about adding to our lives. And this really opened up to me this week as I went back and I prepared and I'd never seen this before in in the text and I just really, the Lord ministered to me in this so I wanted to share it with you. The relationship, about how Jesus talks about the relationship between value and worry. He says it's completely unnecessary for the person he's called you to be, worry. It's unnecessary It actually distracts and it detracts from how much you're worth. He says you can't add any more time to your life by engaging in worry. It's useless. We would assume that, that by pressing into peace and pressing into prayer, we're adding to our lives. If worry is subtracting, Peace is adding to our lives. If worry and anxiety are distracting and detracting and subtracting from our lives, prayer and intimacy with the Father is adding to our lives. When we intentionally press into intimacy with the Father, we add to our lives so much that is of high value in the kingdom. 
You see, worry doesn't add anything to our lives. Jesus says, and we know that in the kingdom, if it's not adding, it's subtracting. There's no middle ground in the kingdom. You're either adding or you're subtracting. Now, I'm not talking about gray theological areas. I'm just saying there's no middle ground in the kingdom. You're either moving towards Jesus by the decisions that you make, or you're moving away from him. You're either adding to your life and adding to the intimacy of your relationship with your father, or you're subtracting, you're running away. Cannot stand on middle ground in the kingdom of God. Worry has a crazy way of letting the enemy in there. The enemy of our souls preys upon worry. He uses it to distract us from divine destiny. He uses worry as a tool to chip away at the good foundation that Jesus has already laid in our lives. He knows that if he can get us to worry, he can begin to introduce fear to our souls. And fear is never in the camp of Jesus. It always comes from the camp of the enemy. You see, Jesus never led out of fear or manipulation. Jesus always leads out of love. And so you can be sure if you feel fear, it's not coming from him. It's coming from the enemy. The enemy loves to introduce fear and worry to your soul because he knows that it introduces insecurity. He knows that he can get you to slip up there. Jesus is saying that we we were designed for more. Not more in the American sense. Not more stuff to fill our houses with. Not more food to indulge ourselves with but with a life that's satisfying and fulfilling. And we'll get into that in a little bit. He's saying here is that we weren't designed in his imagination. If we're shaped out of the imagination of God, that we weren't designed in his imaginations to be creatures of worry. We weren't meant to spin our wheels, churning our hearts into a frenzy about a future that's already been secured. See, the future's already been secured. You know the end of the book. We weren't meant to churn our wheels, our hearts, into a frenzy about a future that's already been secured. See, Jesus knows the, how, the, how it ends. And that's what heart he comes with when he says, do not worry. He's saying that in order to get your heart where it was designed to be, you're going to need to drop the language of worry. And you're going to need to begin to pick up the language of expectancy and hope. Say that one again. In order to get your heart where he's designed it to be, you're going to need to drop the language of worry and begin to learn to pick up the language of hope and expectancy for what he wants to do in your life in the future. And for some of you here this morning, this is a tough assignment. It goes beyond an occasional worry here and there. It's, it's more of an identity thing. You've taken on worry as part of your identity. If a moment went by without a worry, that would give you worry. <laughs> That's where you are this morning. It's a tough assignment to drop the language of worry. There's many worries in In my life, you might say to me, that's easy for you to say. You don't know. You don't know my life. 
You don't know that my wife has terminal cancer and she's been given five months to live. You don't know. You don't know with how, how I struggle with, with, this, um, with this son or daughter who's wayward and has been away for 10 years. You don't know, preacher. You don't know. Well, praise be to God for our next point. And the next point is, who is God? Who is he? This blew my heart up this week. Who is speaking to us? Who is speaking to this crowd when he says, do not worry? It's important to remember whenever anyone is speaking to you to take a look at what's behind the curtain. Take a look at what's behind the curtain. Who is God? You know, oftentimes these self-help seminars and the pop culture psychology books and media can do some good things. I'm not discrediting that. It's true. But what does life look like behind the curtain? You know, it's wise to consider who it is that's speaking to you, like we said. When someone tells you, don't worry, have you ever been in a tough situation and someone comes along and says, don't worry, as if they're speaking down to a child? How does that make you feel? We're going to bring this, I I realize we're at like a 30,000 foot view. Here we go. We're going to bring it down. Well, Jesus is the only truth. He's the only one who knows the truth, who is the truth, and he'll always tell you the truth. And how amazing it is that he's our Savior, that Jesus is the living Savior. When he tells us, when it's him who's speaking to us and saying, do not worry, he's saying this in full view of what's before him. Let's break it down a little bit more. I see some of you. Okay, come along. Come along with me on this. He's saying, don't worry in the shadow of the cross. Jesus is saying, don't worry. He knows the future. He's saying this, don't worry, knowing that one of his closest friends will betray him to be murdered. Jesus is concerned with our lives, and he actually cares and loves us when he says, don't worry. You're worth more than the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. He's able to sympathize with our needs. He's the only God who can say, don't worry, with a straight face. Do you get it? He's not off on some heavenly cloud, twiddling his thumbs apart from human suffering. He wept when he he heard his friend Lazarus had died. He had compassion. He was moved to his guts when he looked out and saw the people hopeless like sheep without a shepherd. Our God is is not just living in heaven somewhere apart from human need and suffering. Praise be to God when Jesus says, don't worry, that it's him who's saying it. And not Buddha or Krishna or someone who's unable to sympathize with our needs. Amen? That's good news for us this morning, that he came down during Lent, and that's where we're headed towards the hope and the promise of Easter. That a man hung on the cross, that a spear was shoved into human flesh, and blood and water flowed. Praise be to God, that he's not just some figment of our imagination, but he put on skin and bones and moved into our neighborhood. He knows what it's like. He didn't live, he didn't live a, a bird-like or, or lily-like existence. He came where he was unexpected to come. He didn't show up at some palace like most kings or gods do. He showed up in a feeding trough in the middle of nowhere. 
That's my Jesus. He's concerned with the care of my soul. He's concerned with the, the care of your soul. And that's why he's saying, do not worry. Hmm. Really good. These words, don't worry, were spoken to us by a person who was able to look into the future. And he could see that the darkness was coming. The cross was before him. The person who said, don't worry, was someone whose life on earth was anything but bird-like and lily-like. That's good news. Paul writes in Philippians 4, 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Let's break this down a little bit further. We were at 30,000. Now we're only at 10,000. Here we go. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, in prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Okay, when Jesus is out in the boat with the disciples and the storm whips up all around them, we see Jesus freaking out just like the disciples, correct? No. What's he doing? Well, Jesus decides to take a little cat nap. He thinks this is a perfect time to fall asleep. And what he's doing is he's modeling something for us. Jesus is always modeling. He's modeling See, we always labor under the misconception that if the seas were only calm, if we were just experiencing smooth sailing with our health or with our kids or in our marriage or with my finances, if the sea was calm in my life, I wouldn't be worried. You see the if-then kind of formulaic approach there? If there were no seas, then I wouldn't be worried. But Jesus and the Apostle Paul there in Philippians are getting at something very profound here. They are saying that worry is not produced by yours or my external circumstances. Mm. Worry comes from inside of you and me. There may be factors playing in, external factors that are playing in here. But ultimately, worry is coming from within. So what comes next, you say? What happens? What do we do? What do we do with the worries? I get it. We all we all get worried at certain times. We all have concerns. We all have prayer, uh, cares. Happens to all of us. So so what do we do with that? What are where, where are we to put that in our lives? In verse thirty three, we read this. Jesus says, "But seek first His kingdom." And his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. What does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Notice that Jesus says his righteousness, not your own righteousness. Seek God's righteousness. Righteousness is a fancy term for right relationship. Things are good, not just like things are cool but not really passive-aggressive. I still think you're mad at me, schizophrenic, God. Not like that. No, there's peace. You know, it's finished. Things are good between the Father and I. That's what righteousness means. It's settled. And Jesus says here that the way to have victory over worry in our lives is through intimacy with the Father. What else is happening here? Seek first the kingdom of God. We're going to chat more about the kingdom of God in April and in May. We're going to enter into a season after Easter in a series called uh, Distinctive. 
and talk about values in the vineyard and what it means to be part of this tribe that we value the kingdom of God. So we'll get in the kingdom of God a little bit more in depth here in April and May because the vineyard is very much a kingdom of God movement. For those of you who are not aware, very much a kingdom of God movement. So at a basic level, what are we talking about when we say the kingdom of God? When Jesus says the kingdom of God, what we mean at a foundational level is Jesus' rule and his reign. If Jesus has touched it, the kingdom of God has come to that place, including your heart, including your life. The rule and the reign of Jesus reigning over like a king rule like the umpire. He's helping you figure out what are balls and strikes in your heart. So the kingdom of God, seeking first. Seeking means first, before. And we know that the rule and reign of Jesus belongs to who? Those who become like these, become like children. There's something of identity Jesus is driving at when he says, seek first the kingdom of God. In context with how much he cares for you and for I. There's something about identity, you see, because someone who doesn't know that they belong to God as a son or daughter constantly worries about where their next meal is coming from. But a son or daughter knows they're provided for. Seek first the kingdom. Seek first Jesus' rule and reign. Where, you might ask? Where do we seek that? We know we seek it first. Well, where do we seek it? You seek it everywhere you go because you can't help but turn on the presence of God. You carry it. You simply release it into wherever you go. So wherever you go, the kingdom of God goes with you. Whenever you take a breath, Jesus takes a breath inside of you. You carry something of living presence inside of you. You didn't just say a sinner's prayer. You signed up to change the world with Jesus. You're partnering with him. So wherever you go, The Holy Spirit goes with you. The kingdom of God goes with you. It begins to change your perspective as we begin to see the kingdom of God like this. As you cease from the temptation to worry, a whole new world will open up before you. You begin to see that God has designed your job not for you to worry about it, but to be light there. To see the kingdom come at your workplace from nine to five, outside of these eight walls. You thought you just signed up for a for better pay or for a steady job. That wasn't God's purpose in giving you that job. God's purpose in giving you that job was to steward the presence of Jesus there and to usher in light wherever you can. When you begin to let go of worry, you begin to see that when you pump your gas at the gas station, it's not just an opportunity to worry about fluctuating gas prices. Instead, it's an opportunity to see who's on the other side of that gas pump and why they've got a little cast on their ankle and why they tore their ligaments in their ankle and an opportunity to usher in the kingdom of God in that situation. You didn't just show up to Starbucks because you liked overpriced coffee. You showed up to Starbucks to shift the atmosphere of the room when you walked in. Did you know that? That you have the ability to shift the atmosphere of an entire cafe as you walk into it because you carry the presence of Jesus inside of your heart. Brother, sister, you've been hiding out too long. It's time. 
It's time. Oh, the possibilities of just walking into Starbucks. <laughs> you thought the possibilities were the many choices. I don't know if I want a latte or a mocha or a grande or a venti or a breve or some caramel. That's not why you walked in there. You walked into Starbucks to usher in the kingdom of God through your heart and through your hands. How do I do that, you say? I don't know. Try setting out a little piece of paper that says free prayer and then just sitting down and see what happens. Maybe you do that. Maybe you see the barista and she's got a little brace on her wrist or something because she's been, you know, making espresso shots all day. You say, oh, I know this one. I've got a solution for this one. Easy peasy. That's easy for Jesus. And you won't be disappointed, I can guarantee you that, because the kingdom of God is never disappointing to us. The kingdom of God always goes beyond our expectations and every imagination we could have. Because you know what? Nine times out of ten, when I pray for somebody's wrists, if I don't see actual physical healing, you know what? They still thank me. And they don't thank me for anything other than taking time to notice. Thank you for caring. Do not worry about your life. Father cares for you. When you drop the language of worry, you begin to see that it changes everything about your perspective and our purpose for being here in Cleveland. We're not just here to worry about the city's next failure, but we believe in the promise of what God has in store for greater Cleveland in the future. It's turning worry into expectant hearts, just waiting to burst with the presence of Jesus into any and every situation we find ourselves in. Simply put, we are not worry warts, we're expectant hearts. Jesus is driving at trust here. He's saying, hang on, I know the future and it's really good. If you seek me, you will find me. What does that first verse from Jeremiah say? Seek me, and I'll show you unsearchable things that Google doesn't know. Is that how that verse in Jeremiah goes? He's going to tell you secrets about that city out there. He's going to give you insight into that place out there that you can't even find on Google. Seek first. Seek first. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about aiming at the right target. When your heart is aiming at the right target of seeking first the kingdom of God, Jesus' rule and reign, then all these things will be added to you. The wrong target, you might ask? The wrong target. How can I provide for myself? How can I position myself to get ahead at my job or in who I know, in my connections? The wrong target. I won't trust anyone but myself to further my ministry or my career or my status. You see, when we aim for the right target of his righteousness, his rule and his reign will never miss because we begin to see that whatever comes from his hand is good. That his intentions toward us are always love and always kindness and favor. That he wants and he longs and desires from the deepest part of who he is to provide and to care for us. If only we would turn. If only we would trust that he is who he says he is. That every good and perfect gift is coming down from the Father of lights. In the midst of the storm, it's not part of your identity to be worried about tomorrow's storm. Tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. It's coming. The storm's going to come. 
But because you claim Jesus as your Savior, because you've surrendered your dreams, because you've surrendered your life before him, you can say, God will take care of me, regardless of the storm. You can say, as the hymn writer said, God will take care of me. In my Father's eyes, I'm worth more than the birds of the air. God will take care of me. Have you heard Aretha Franklin sing, God will take care of me? Then you'll know what it feels like. God will take care of me. Tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. God is in control. I don't have to understand everything right now. I don't have to know what that means, that God is in control when all of this mess is around in my life. But God will take care of me. Do you have this sense in your heart and your minds this morning that if, if you claim Jesus, if you, if you put on Jesus, you are a treasured son or daughter. You're adored by the Father and he's in control? That you're sheltered beneath his loving wings. God will take care of me. Though I will lose heart and I'll fail, God will take care of me. Even though I may be in danger and danger is all around and I don't know where the path is going to lead, God will take care of me. Everything that I need, he's, he's going to provide for me. He's, he's my portion. He's my provision. God will take care of me. That nothing I, I ever ask will be denied. God will take care of me. No matter what, no matter what the test, no matter what the trial, no matter what circumstance you'll face in your life, God will take care of me. God will take care of me. And that's what Jesus is saying in this passage. Don't worry. God will take care of you. That you and I belong to a different culture altogether if you claim Jesus this morning. We don't belong to the anxious culture that we see out there. We're alien. If you claim Jesus, you don't belong to anxiety. You don't belong to worry. You don't belong to that culture. But you belong to a culture of peace and of trust and of hope and expectation and freedom and joy and love and hope and grace and gentle communication and gentle authority and freedom in, in the spirit of the Lord because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You belong to a different culture if you claim Jesus this morning. And that's right there in the Father's love and his care for you and for me. And I want to offer that to some of you this morning. Why don't you join me in standing?